Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where your questions matter and God's word is truth. So we are still in Ephesians, and we're actually today, we're going to be going over verses 7 through 10 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. And what a beautiful way to just come about what is going on, what Paul wants the Ephesians to know, and not only the Ephesians, but also us, because this also applies to us. This applies to every single believer who has understood the gospel and heeded God's call to repent from their sins and come to him in full faith, right? And this kind of faith that we trust all the things that Jesus has done and his ministry all the way to the point of the cross, dying on the cross, and on the third day, rising from the grave and ascending into heaven uh, to receive his rightful crown to be king, right? And not only that, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And what that means is that Donald Trump, Jesus is his king. You see, we are represented by Donald Trump as our president, but even he has to bend his knee before the Lord of glory, and that is Jesus Christ. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and begin reading. Uh, We'll read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 to get the broad, full context of what Paul is referencing to what he is wanting to convey and obviously we do not want to distort God's word and Paul being inspired by God and writing us this let's read it and allow God to speak to us in such a way that we understand what he's trying to say through this through Paul and Obviously, we ourselves are incapable of understanding. It's only the Holy Spirit which gives us the understanding of his words so that we may begin to learn and know who God is better. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive all together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise God. And so, yeah, let's let's just dive right in. Verse 7, it says, So that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it says, so that in the coming ages. So what does that mean? What is Paul trying to say when he says in the coming ages? I believe what he is saying is just in the days to come, we will see what God is doing and through all of creation, right? Because ultimately in Colossians, we we get this understanding that what God is doing is reconciling everything to himself, right? So with this gospel that's being spread amongst the people, more and more will heed this call and would recognize their deadness and sin and how much they need Christ, right? So this coming ages, we get this understanding also in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, and this is what it says. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that is in reference to Jesus Christ, the gospel, right? All of Jesus and what he has done and how he has revealed himself through creation, right? So he took on flesh and dwelt among us. So this is how we understand this God showing his, the richness of his grace, right? In verse four, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive. So we take that understanding and we bring it to verse seven, so that in the coming ages, so in the days to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us to who? Us, it says. So Paul is identifying himself with the Ephesians and he's saying us. So who is the us? Well, chapter 1, verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus or the believing ones in Christ. So now we understand that the us are the elect of God, the chosen ones by God, the ones that were made alive, right? But God, rich in mercy, made us alive, right? All together with Christ. So in verse 7, we get this, so that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So this grace is immeasurable. That means there's nothing to compare to this. There's nothing, there's no canister, there's no swimming pool big enough, there's no ocean wide enough and deep enough that would be able to measure God's grace because it is immeasurable. And it says riches of his grace. So the riches identifies to the immeasurable, right? So the riches of God is immeasurable. And then it says of his grace. So the immeasurable riches of his grace. So these riches that are immeasurable come about from his grace. Whose grace? God's grace. And it says, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God shows us that he does have emotion. God shows us that out of his kindness or in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, we see the immeasurable riches. And how do we see that? Well, look at every single person that has been made alive by God. There is a drastic change in their life. They no longer live for themselves. They live for God. And that's how we should be as believers. We should live for God and conduct ourselves in such a way that we no longer live in our sins because we were dead in our trespass and sins in which you once walked. So we used to walk in this, no longer do because we are dead. And now God made us alive in Christ. Therefore, our identity being in Christ moves us to want to do what God calls us to do, right? So when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, it says in verse 2, the sons of disobedience, right? Not the sons of obedience, but the, the sons of disobedience. This identifies to being dead in the sins and trespasses because that's all they do, right? They sin and the love to sin. We used to walk in that, so we used to love to sin, but no longer do. And now instead of being sons of disobedience, now we are the sons of obedience. We desire to obey God. We desire, we want to make much of him and less of us. And that's the transforming work of the gospel to every believer, right? So verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, all of this is done in Christ, apart from Christ or outside of Christ, you do not identify with this. We can identify being raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. If you're not in Christ, it's impossible. Because Romans 3 tells us that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. Well, we don't want God at all. But then we understand that God made us alive all together in Christ. And we see this and we read this. And now we see the implications of understanding the gospel and how important it is that we believe the right gospel. The right gospel, Paul summarizes in saying, 
that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave in accordance with the scriptures. So he condenses the gospel in these two verses. This is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. But this is the gospel and in this reference we see the riches of God that are immeasurable through this gospel proclamation because we see more and more people being changed. And not only that, made new, right? We were dead and now we we're made alive. We are a new creation, it says. In another part of the Bible, but we have to understand that God shows us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. And how is that done? That's through the gospel. We see the transforming work that God does within a person. Because we were vile, we hated God, we hated to be obedient, right? We were sons of disobedience and no longer are that. We are adopted into God's family. So we no longer identify, we no longer say that we are still chained to sin because the shackles were let loose, right? Jesus Christ died for our sins. We no longer identify with that because we put it on Christ. Well, Christ put it on himself. He took our sins and put them on himself and he gave us his righteousness right this is called the great exchange let's continue reading it says in verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god so what do we see here we see for by grace so by grace you have been saved. So this grace is the means of how we are saved through faith. So we need this faith in order to be saved by grace. And it says, and this is not your own doing. That means we had nothing to do with this. We had nothing to do with this grace. We had nothing to do with this salvation. We had nothing to do with this faith. Even though God calls us to have faith in him. But this is only possible how? Well, look at that last clause in verse 8. It is the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? Grace, salvation, and faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So these three things are identified as God's gift to those who receive it that are given by God and all who God gives this gift will receive it will heed this call and then we finally get to this verse 9 right not a result of works so again and this is not your own doing it says in verse 8 it is the gift of God not a result of works so how did you bring about your salvation? Well, it says here, not a result of works, right? It says, so that. So there's a reason. There's a reason why God did it this way and did not say, you must do this and then I will save you. No, it says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So... says 
And this is not your own doing, right? Right, so let's go back to verse 8. Let, let's understand this. Let's let this simmer, right? So, and this is not your own doing. So the doing is that we are doing something, right? So, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 1 of chapter 2. The carnal man cannot come about this reality as Paul tells us in the next clause. It is the gift of God, right? So verse 9, what verse 9 ultimately leads up to is God alone gets the glory. That's basically what Paul is saying in verse 9. Not a result of works, meaning you had nothing to do with this. There's no work that you merited in order for you to receive God's grace, his faith, and his saving. And it says, so that no one may boast. There's another portion of scripture where it says, if you're to boast, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself, thinking that you did it. But what God tells us is, he is the one who is worthy of glory. And not only that, God alone gets the glory. Let's keep reading. So that no one may boast. Here it is, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, for we are his workmanship. What is workmanship? It says, this comes from a Greek word, poema, which is a noun. So, this is where we get the word poem. Poema, poem. And what is a poem? It's a, it's a work, right, that we make. And it's a poem and it's beautiful and it rhymes and it, it just sounds majestic, per se. Well, here is, is saying, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. And poema literally translates to that which is made. So anything that God has created, it is his poema, poema. Look at creation, look at the stars and the sky, look at the moon. I would say look at the sun, but you would burn your eyes, so don't do that. But we see the light shines and reveals to us God's creation. Right? We see God's power through the sun, right, especially in the summer, it gets really hot, but it's good for us. We need that. And at the same time, it reveals to us all that God has created, right? We look into the sky and we see the stars shine. We see how vast the universe is. We are actually unable to look out into space and see the end of the universe because it's expanding it's continually to continuing to grow and it's we have not measured how wide the universe is it is enormous but what god is doing and showing us how great this universe is and is to show us how small we actually are not only that we were created in his image so there's something beautiful in that. And not only that, whenever God made us alive, right? 
We are a new creation. So not only were we created by God physically, but there's a spiritual birth that happens and God creates a new man, a new person. So we no longer are dead in our sins, but instead we are made alive in Christ. Therefore, now we can do good works because it says created in Christ Jesus for good works for which God prepared beforehand. What was the purpose of this? What is the purpose of us doing good works? That we should walk in them, right? We should live in them, right? Look at verse 2 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, in which you once walked. You don't walk in there anymore in the sins and trespasses, right? You don't walk in there anymore. Instead, because of Christ and us being made alive in him, when we repented from our sins and turned to Christ for salvation, believed in this gospel, now we are to walk in them. Walk in what? Walk in these good works that God prepared beforehand. So that is the order in which we should do good works. Right? The good works has to come in order. So in verse 8 tells us, well, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, tells the Ephesians how they were saved. It also tells us how we were saved. Verse 9 tells us God gets the glory, God alone. And then verse 10, now worship him through doing good works. So good works is the fruit of our salvation and not the root of salvation. Right, So many people think they have to clean themselves up in order to come to God. But that again, that negates the understanding that this has nothing to do with us. Salvation has nothing to do with us. Right, God shows no partiality. There's no favorites per se. We're all dead in our sins and he has chosen some to save. Not all. We know that hell is reserved for the disobedient who has not turned to him for salvation. But the turning to him for salvation only happens by grace through faith, as it says in verse 8. So, let's look, for instance, that it cannot be earned. So, confirmation, right? Whenever uh, we are confirmed, that's does not merit salvation. Baptism. Many people think that you must be baptized in order to be saved. No, that's, again, a work that you do or you're trying to do to merit salvation, but that's not how it works. According to verse 9, it is not of works. Church membership, just because you identify uh, with a church, and you have your little membership card, if they give you a card, or you're just on the roster and it says that you are a member of this church, that does not make you saved. Church attendance. Again, many people think that because they're going to church, they are saved and they are a Christian. Well, no, that's not what saves you. Yes, it's a good thing to get together and gather with believers because we are called to and we're called not to be lone Christians in the world, but instead we are to help each other grow, sharpen each other, right? As iron sharpens iron, so does one. 
person sharpen another. Uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper. Again, that also, if you believe you have to partake in the Lord's Supper to be saved, you're wrong. Or how about this one, trying to keep the Ten Commandments? That's a big one. Many of us think just because I have not sinned today in according to the Ten Commandments, I am saved for the day. No, you have been saved already, right? Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. That means while we were sinning, had our backs toward God, made us alive together with Christ. So again, these works did not merit us salvation. Instead, it was only by God's grace. How about giving to charity? Giving money to the poor, the homeless, or feeding a family or so. That also does not merit salvation. These are good things to do. Don't get me wrong. But this is not what gives you the salvation that is by grace and and grace alone. How about being good to your neighbor or being a good neighbor or living a moral and respectable life? See, people are not saved by works or they are not saved by faith plus works, right? Our neighbor, the Roman Catholics, believe that they are saved by faith and works. You need to keep the sacraments. You need to confess um, your sins in order to be cleansed, right? You have to go to the priest and they tell you you must do ten Hail Marys or, or whatever, right? No, it says that you're saved through faith and that's it, alone. So... These good works, again, let me repeat, is the fruit of our salvation. So once we are saved, now we desire to do good, not for ourselves, but for God. You see, the atheist can do good works, but why? It's not to bring God the glory, it's to bring themselves glory, it's to actually try to show the world that they can do good things. But again, so what? What is the purpose if... You believe that you are just bags of protoplasm floating through sky and that you're a result of an accident, right? So we are accidentally in this world to have a conscience and now we want to justify what morality is and what good is and what bad is, but according to who or what? Again, if there's no standard of truth, then what's the point? See, this is why atheism just diffuses and implodes in itself. Because it is just the result of suppressing that truth with their unrighteousness. You see, God tells us in Romans that they have this truth, but instead of allowing the truth to be shown in them recognizing and acknowledging, yeah, this is right. Instead, they're suppressing that truth, it says in Romans. Right? And it says, 
for the wrath of God. So this is Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his glory, have been perceived ever since the creation of the world, right? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. They have no excuse that God exists. Instead, they insist that God does not exist as they are suppressing that truth. So when it comes to these good works. We do good works because we are saved, not to be saved. So let's reread this again, starting in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace ye have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's an ought that if you are a believer, you're a Christian, you are to walk in this, in this new life that has been given to us, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for God, and we are to make his name known through this gospel proclamation that he has called us to do. So wherever you are, I say, preach the gospel. Try to reach out to those, because if you truly are a believer, then you understand the implications of being dead in sin and what that results, right? We don't want anyone to be sent to hell because we know through Jesus Christ and what he has taught us through his word how hell is a separation from God. It's described as a lake of fire. It's called outer darkness. It's a scary place to think about. But Jesus says this place is real and will be created for all of those who have sinned against him and have not turned from their sins. See, God's command, Jesus' command, is to repent and believe in the gospel. What is this gospel? That Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, dwelt among us, was our representative he, instead of abolishing the law, he fulfilled the law, meaning he was able, the only one that was able to keep the law perfect, perfectly, which is why he reached to the point of death when he died, he was able to rise from the grave, not only proving that he is God, but also now, since he rose from the grave, we put our hope in him, that now we identify in his, not only his death, but also his resurrection. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important, and also his ascension into heaven. We sometimes forget about that part. But the ascension into heaven shows to us that Jesus received his rightful crown. He is given 
all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, when he commands us to do something, we are to do that because he's Lord. We call him Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, not only does he command believers to obey his commandments, to obey all that he's given, but he also commands the unbelievers, everyone. Right? Because the gospel call is not just for the believers. The gospel call is proclaimed to everyone. Not everyone will believe, but all of the elect, all of those whom God has predestined from before the foundations of the world, they will be saved. Right in Psalm chapter 2, it says in verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the rulers of the earth, all of those who are in position of president, per se, all of those who have a sense of leadership in his world. And it says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son, right? Revere Jesus Christ and kneel before him and revere him as Lord, as king. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. See, this call, this command is not for the believers. It says, for the kings, oh, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. It's talking to anybody and everybody. In this position, it says, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Look at this. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right, So the blessed will be all of those who have taken refuge in Christ. And that's the call of the gospel, is recognizing that our sin separated us from God and we need him. According to verse 2 of chapter 2, or verse 8 of chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So I would say if you have not turned from your sins, Turn to him. Right? Today's the day of salvation. Right? Call on him and you will be saved. Recognize that your sin has caused you to turn from God and now you don't desire to do that anymore. You want to come to him. You want to serve him and trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And now you are good to do these good works for the glory of God and that's the very purpose of us being made alive is to glorify him and enjoy him forever so that is the call this is follow me to heaven with Jonathan Romero